experience, it is not easy to develop a discipline of joy. So I won't pretend that it is, but it is so rewarding. And I'm so excited to share what I've learned about this process. Well, ladies, let's get cracking on developing a discipline of reaching for grace and living in joy. The very first avenue that we're going to tackle is the one that will have the most impact in our daily life. Um, but that also means that it's going to be the hardest and will probably take the longest, even the rest of our lives, to really nail down. We have absolutely no time to lose. <laughs> Last week, we addressed the lie that burnout is a badge, clarifying that what it actually is, is a lack of discipline in responding to and reaching for God's grace. So this avenue, which we're going to be diving into, is all about reaching for rest. I think most Catholic wives are very aware, at least conceptually, that they're called to fight against a worldly culture of busyness. But what burnout demonstrates is that whatever understanding they have of this is remaining conceptual. It's not being actualized. It's not being practiced. And if there are children in the home, it's not being modeled for the kids. If mom is constantly burnt out, kids are not learning to reject the worldly culture of busyness. They're just seeing a different iteration of it. One which justifies itself and its inherent inattentiveness to responding to and reaching for God's grace through its touted focus on the family. But just doing things for your family doesn't mean that you're focused on the family. So let's talk a little bit about that. Two weeks ago, I read a quote from Father Raoul Plus, and it was actually just the first bit of a longer passage. I'd like to read the full passage now. Quote, never weary in cheering your family with your smile. It is not enough to avoid depressing the family. That is purely negative. You must brighten them up. Let their spirits expand. Be especially vigilant when the little ones are around. You must give them the alms of a smile, hard though it be at times. What a pity when children have to say, I don't like it at our house. End quote. Now, obviously, it's one thing when a child thinks they don't like it at home because of something like having to do chores or homework. Um, it's quite another thing, however, when the reason for our child or our husband not liking being at home is because of our attitude. Really quick, I'd like to reread a quote from Pope Pius XII, which again I shared two weeks ago. Quote, there is absolutely no doubt that a wife can do more than a husband to make a happy home. The prime role of the husband is to provide a living and prepare the future for the family and the home in those matters which affect him and the children in that future. The woman's role encompasses those countless ceaseless details, those imponderable daily attentions and cares, which create the atmosphere of a family and, depending on whether they are properly performed or not, make the home either healthy, attractive, and comfortable, or demoralized and unbearable. 
And also a new quote from Father Bernard O'Reilly, quote, Every effort we make to forget self, to leave self behind us, and to devote ourselves to the labor of making every person with whom we are bound to live happy, is rewarded by interior satisfaction and joy. The supreme effort of goodness is not alone to do good to others, that is its first and lower effect, but to make others good. End quote. <clears throat> so when we justify burnout, when we justify basically adhering to the worldly culture of busyness with, oh well, I'm so busy because it's for my family, we're doing exactly what was just mentioned by Father O'Reilly. We're stuck in what he calls that lower effect of just doing good to others. And it is good what we're doing. It's good that we're doing those things, but we are failing to achieve what he calls that supreme effort of goodness, which is to make others good, not through control, but through consistent example and therefore ongoing inspiration. If you want your kids to have good habits, then you have to model them yourself, right? And even though your husband is not your child, it's not treating him like a child to present to him an excellent example yourself. In fact, that is being the helpmate which God has called you to be. You're respecting your husband's free will, you're accepting that you can't control him, and you strive to control yourself and pray that by your example of pursuing sainthood, that your husband will be time and again inspired to do more in his own pursuit of sainthood. And then going back to the kids, if you want them to authentically reject a culture of worldly busyness, then of course you have to be able to model that for them at home. You know, how can you talk to them about balancing school with chores and extracurricular activities like sports and learning instruments, etc., if they don't see that you know how to balance your own life? You want them to not be overtired. You caution them from doing too much at once because you know that when they do too much, they're crankier at home. They have a harder time sitting down for homework. They're not eating as well. They don't go to sleep easily. But if you are constantly burnt out, you're not setting any kind of example for them. And all of these things, the crankiness, the tiredness, the difficulty sleeping, the lack of focus, these are a child's symptoms of joylessness. They are also struggling to reach for grace and maintain a joyful spirit of the living Christ within them. I want to take a moment to challenge your perception of productivity and ask if your perception is a worldly one or a godly one. As Catholics, we should consider becoming saints the most productive thing that we can possibly do with our lives, if we must indeed use such a word to describe the path set before us. To become a saint, we must avoid sin and reject temptation. So I would challenge you, if your perception of productivity is a worldly one, to work on shifting and centering your understanding around this truth, 
that anything which keeps you from sin is productive. <laughs> that that is the standard for your productivity. That what you are doing is keeping you from sin, not providing more occasions for it, or indeed propelling you into sin. Ladies, God gives us the strength to be steady women, to be steady and therefore unfailing sources of joy for our families, an inspiration to others to intentionally enter into God's joy. It's not a nice feeling when your husband and kids don't want to be around you when they'd rather be anywhere in the world except the same room as you. And this call to joy should not be offensive. The first person who benefits from being joyful is you. You get to be filled up with joy. Isn't it great that we have such a lovely responsibility to be joyful? I mean, you never, you never hear anyone say, oh yeah, I promise I'm really joyful, but I really just don't want to deal with anyone or anything today. Or, well, of course I'm joyful. I just, I can't really smile right now. Or, I know I'm acting like life sucks, but I'm really so joyful about it. <laughs> Ladies, it's, it's delightful to be joyful. Everything about life is easier and lighter when we're filled with joy. Because as we know, being filled with joy means that we're filled with God's grace. So, don't get offended that reaching for joy is part of your responsibility as a wife. Be excited about it. The first avenue that we're going to be exploring in developing a discipline of joy, which you may have deduced from the title of this episode, is planned rest. Now, we should know from Genesis that rest is blessed by God, for he himself rested on the seventh day, modeling for us that this is something that we should take time to do. God himself does not need rest. He rested purely to pass on that message to us that rest is a good thing. And this rest that God has blessed is an incredible source of grace and does so much for our joy. To really solidify our understanding of rest, we're going to spend some time talking about nuns. There's so much <laughs> that we can learn from them about reaching for joy through rest and examining their practices will also address some common misconceptions which afflict far too many wives, especially mothers. Rest doesn't always mean sleep. Nap time is great, but it's not the only form of rest, and it's not the form of rest that we're going to be talking about. If you thought that this episode was going to be about getting more sleep, it's not. Our need for sleep is, very fortunately, still intuitive for the overwhelming majority of us, whether or not we're actually getting it. But I don't need to talk about our need for solid sleep because you already know that. Consecrated religious have times of rest written into their regular schedule. It varies from rule to rule, from convent to convent, but it is absolutely a regular part of their daily life. And another word for this time of rest is recreation. So the first thing that this should teach us is that recreational rest is not inherently selfish or self-indulgent. 
If it was, if recreational rest was a vice, it wouldn't be permitted by the vows that the consecrated religious make. And so this is true for us also. We have to get away from this idea that our vows as married women to be selfless in the service of others do not permit recreational rest. I see so many complaints from women saying, I wish I had time to do this, I wish I had time to do that. And they're listing like really objectively good things, creative things, creative activities, and they're not making time for them because they think that having a family means they have to put all of those things aside. Ladies, consecrated religious would not be deliberately engaging in any activity for which they must go to confession immediately afterwards. That would be absurd. So that's the first thing we can learn, is that recreational rest does not have to be selfish or self-indulgent. It is not inherently a vice. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. The second thing that we should learn is that our legitimate need for recreational rest is distinct from our need for formal prayer, which is a type of rest. And religious sisters spend hours each day in formal prayer, in daily mass, in an hour of silence before their spouse, in keeping the liturgy of the hours, lauds, sext, vespers, compline, in resting their soul in God. But their time of recreational rest is distinct from their time of formal prayer. And again, it's not a vice or they wouldn't do it at all. There is a strength to be drawn from prayer, from resting in God. And I think we all know that. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't doubt that many of you feel that you should be able to draw all the strength you need from prayer. But there is another type of strength to be drawn from a different type of rest. And our need for this other type of rest, this recreational rest, is just as legitimate as that need for prayer. These different needs are God-given. The third lesson that we should learn from the sisters is the importance of the regularity of recreational rest. This is not something which they carve out an hour for every three months. It is a regular part of their daily schedule, which means, once again, that it's neither selfish nor self-indulgent to make it a regular part of our daily schedule. Fourthly, The fact that consecrated religious have time for recreational rest is not due to the fact that they have more time on their hands than married women. If they are in the chapel for silent prayer at, say, let's just say 6.45 a.m., and they go to bed after Compline, after um, about maybe 9.30 or 10 p.m., then you're looking at a 15-hour day for many of them even longer, for very precious few, shorter by maybe an hour, an hour and a half max, it is not that they have more time on their hands. They are just as busy as we are. On top of all their hours spent in prayer, they have their chores, they have their apostolates, and some have additional schooling in relation to their apostolate. 
We as married women may have seasons of our life which we might consider vastly different from theirs. When we have a newborn, for example, you know, we might be lucky if we get two or three hours of sleep for the first few months. But religious sisters actually have seasons too. When someone in the community is sick, when someone in the community is suffering from a terminal illness, they're not booted out of the convent. If you're caring for a special needs child or an aging parent, do not make the mistake of supposing that religious sisters' experience of life is so very far removed from yours. Religious sisters serve at orphanages, at nursing homes, at pregnancy centers, at schools, as teachers. So all of this to say, if they have time for recreational rest, it is not because they have more time or fewer cares on their hands than the average married women. If they can attend to their legitimate need for recreational rest, so can you. And finally, making time for regular recreational rest is not failing in or neglecting our duties. Now, it's always possible to have too much of a good thing, so we will absolutely be talking about how to identify if the time we're taking for this recreational rest is bordering on selfish. But what I want to emphasize for you is that selfish goes both ways. It's selfish to force others to put up with your bad attitude when you are perfectly capable of exercising the self-control needed to avoid it entirely. Going back to what we talked um, about before with modeling a discipline of joy for our husband and children, it is selfish to expect saintliness in our husband and not be willing to do the work to be a saint ourselves. It is selfish to preach to our children about balancing their lives when we're not willing to do the work to balance our own. Selfishness goes both ways, and too often I see wives going in this direction of selfishly making their husbands, and sometimes even their children, suffer for their own lack of discipline, and then getting angry. Because, you know, no one appreciates how much they do. No one cares that mom's burned out. No one cares that mom needs a break. It's not that they don't care. It's that it's your job to make resting a priority. No one can force you to do it. And only you know how much you need it at any given time. Your children and your husband are not mind readers, and complaining does not count as communicating. Nobody hears you when you're complaining. You do this to your kids, right? When they're complaining, when they're whining, you say things like, I can't hear you. I don't understand whining. So if you're trying to get your kids to communicate clearly without whining and without complaining, then what makes you think that they hear you when you're doing the exact same thing. If you want your children and your husband to possess the presence of mind to communicate without complaining or whining, then you must model that behavior. And the first place to start is with rest. 
As human beings, we have limits. We have emotional, physical, spiritual, and mental limits. And rather than seeing those limits as a burden, which I do think is a real temptation for us and a very serious one, we need to shift our mindset and see those limits as God's gifts. Those limits were given to us by God. When we get upset about having limits, we're rejecting his gifts. We're rejecting his wisdom. We need our limits. He designed us to need them. Our limits are not a punishment. And furthermore, if they are God's gifts, then they are in place to help us serve him in the best way. Why would he create us with limits if all they would do would be to hurt us, to hurt our ability to serve him, to be an occasion of sin? You know, one of the most unhelpful things we can do (laughs) is say to ourselves, well, I shouldn't be drained by blank. You know, like, I shouldn't be drained by doing laundry. I shouldn't be drained by helping kids with homework. I shouldn't be drained by cooking. Okay, maybe you shouldn't. But ladies, if you've been saying that to yourself for a year, for five years or 20 years, then maybe you just need to acknowledge that it does drain you. If you won't accept that about yourself, If you won't accept that you have some limit within you that exists, then you can't begin to manage it. So, where to start? Practically, two things. Number one, think about and write down those things which consistently drain you. Acknowledge your limitations. Accept them. That's where you have to start. If you refuse to even recognize them, you can't begin to handle them differently. Write down the things which drain you and that you know you encounter on a very regular basis. You have to cook three meals every day. You have to do laundry twice a week. You know, if you find those things draining, write them down and don't be ashamed of it. We're going to work on it, but first you have to admit to yourself that those draining activities exist in your life. And then the second thing is to write down activities which fill you up with joy. And this is also where we learn to identify if something is actually selfish or self-indulgent. Three parameters for you in coming up with this list of joy-filling activities. Number one, that you look forward to them. (laughs) That you're not dragging your feet to start them. That they're not something which you know you'll feel good about when you've done it, but it's such an effort to get going. The things that you write down should be things that you're excited about doing and that you cannot wait to begin. Number two, that you enjoy them, which should be a given, but that you're joyful while you're doing these things. Again, not not expecting to be joyful afterwards. This isn't something um, that you're like, okay, I'll feel good about accomplishing this. No, something that you are joyful while doing. And third, here's where we address the selfishness part, that you walk away from doing these things feeling refreshed and ready to serve your husband and your children again. 
If you're walking away from any activity on this list, resenting that you have a husband, resenting that you have children, resenting that there are people with legitimate claims on your time, then that activity is selfish and an occasion of sin. Wallowing in resentment is objectively sinful, and walking away from an activity more tired and upset than before does not help us at all. <laughs> so, we are looking for activities which help us to tackle the cooking and the laundry and the homework, help with joy, with patience, and with gratitude for the privilege of being blessed with a vocation of marriage. If it is an activity which does these good things for us, then it is blessed by God. It is a source of grace. It will help us guard against sin and bring us closer to heaven and to sainthood. If you're looking for more guidance, specifically when it comes to listing activities which will fill you up with joy, if you're just not sure where to start, if you're completely blanking, or maybe you're struggling heavily with the idea that you actually have time for recreational rest, check out our blog post linked in the episode description for this week, which will have some resources and pointers to get you going. I saw a great quote recently that unfortunately was attributed to no one, uh, so I can't give credit for it, but it perfectly captures all our talk about reaching for joy. Quote, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. End quote. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.